So tonight uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, right away when people talk about Philippians chapter 2, what are the primary verses that they typically would go to are Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 where it speaks about Christ and his example of humility and Christ emptying himself as he would become obedient uh, even to the, the death of the cross. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is I don't want to focus in on verses 5 through 11. I want to move on to verses 12 through 16 of Philippians chapter 2 tonight. And so uh, turn there, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to really focus in on verses 12 through 16. Now, I am not a uh, acrostic guy like where I like to do <clears throat> alliteration and and try to force alliteration or force acrostics just because I don't like to do that. But as I was preparing for tonight and thinking about our burgers and brats night, um, there were five, basically five words that I wanted to leave with you tonight that I wanted to challenge you with tonight. And as I was considering, you know, those words and considering how to make them memorable, it just so happened that they um, fit an acrostic, which I never use an acrostic, but I put the acrostic for tonight of grill, G-R-I-L. L, and uh, the words fit that acrostic. So we're using that tonight as a help to remember the words that I'm giving you tonight, these five words, and just think of the word grill as you remember these words tonight because I think they're important words for us to consider as men that want to honor the Lord. And so we'll get to those in just a minute. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, let me read this for us. Paul the Apostle's writing, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, as we jump into this text, I want to just kind of give a little bit of a preview before we get into uh, some specific words I want to focus on tonight and just kind of set the context of this text, all right? Paul says in verse 12, therefore, therefore. So whenever we read that word, therefore, it brings us right back to the preceding verses, right? it's, It's basically the conclusion that he's giving here or the instruction that he's given here is based upon what he's already just told us. And so what is it that he just told us? Well, verses 1 through 11, Paul is laying out the example of humility that was present in Christ, the example of of, um, sacrifice and selflessness that was present in Christ. And that's what Paul would call on the believer to possess in his own life, in his own mind. He would say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so then he describes what was the mind of Christ and what did Jesus do and what did Jesus model. And then after sharing all that, he comes to verse 12 where he says, therefore. So now in light of what Jesus has done, in light of knowing you are to possess and live with the mind of Christ, in light of what we see as the example that Jesus has set, therefore, this is what Paul is now instructing the believer to do. Now here's what I want to point out. Um, Wouldn't all of us agree that as believers in Christ, the word of God very clearly teaches that we need one another? How many of you would agree with that, right? It's it's all over. The New Testament scriptures are filled with one another's. 
love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, confess our faults to one another. Um, all of the one another's that are there throughout Scripture, we've talked about those even in the study on Thursday nights, that we need one another as the body of Christ. And yes, there is responsibility in the body of Christ to care and bear and forgive and share. All of that's true. But here's what I find very interesting about the verses before us tonight. And this is something that I, I want us to get, and this isn't meant to come across as offensive or, or hurtful or you know, to be too harsh. But what I see in, in the text before us tonight is Paul making something abundantly clear. And here's what he's making abundantly clear. You and I as believers in Christ, you and I as men before God, we are directly responsible for ourselves before God. You have a responsibility as a man who follows Christ. I have a responsibility as a man who follows Christ for what I do and say and how I live and how I act and how I speak and how I respond in the world in which I find myself living in. You have that same responsibility. Paul's laying something out here. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now not only in my presence but in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a direct responsibility upon the shoulders of every believer in Jesus Christ for the actions in words and growth that is either taking place or not taking place in their lives before the Lord. And, and here's why I think this is so important, because it is very easy in the culture we live in today, in the society we live in today, to make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse of why we are not following Christ. It is the easiest thing in the world today in that we find ourselves living for men of God, quote unquote, men of God, or those that would claim to be followers of Christ, to know what God says, to not be doing it, and make excuses as to why that's okay. And it's not okay. It's not okay. There's a direct responsibility that, that Paul is laying out here that as a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we have responsibility for um, how we are living in this world that we find ourselves living in, and we should be living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. We should be living in a way that demonstrates the mind of Christ, that shows Christ-likeness, and he lays that out here, and there's some important things that he lays out here. And so with that backdrop and with that understanding, I want to challenge us tonight uh, with five words. Five words that I want to challenge us with tonight. The first word is the word grounded. Say grounded. 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 What do I mean by that? Well, again, look at verses 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The word work out that's used here, that phrase work out, means to continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion. This isn't a work out your salvation as it relates to for your salvation. Or in other words, Paul's not laying out here that you have to work for your salvation or you have to do good works for your salvation because there's not enough good works we could do to earn our salvation. The word of God's clear on that. And so he's not telling them, hey, listen, work it out. Do what you got to do so that you could be saved. Do what you got to do so that you can earn this favor with God. Do what you got to do so that you can earn forgiveness from God. No, he's saying work out. In other words, what he's telling the believer here is that there should be a constant striving for, working towards, pursuing, running towards completion in Christ. And this is God that's, that's at work within us, he says here. But what I find interesting about this is he's challenging the believer he says not only as you did when I was with you in my presence but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling be pursuing 
be running towards, be pursuing after, be working towards completion, sanctification in Christ, whether I'm with you or not. And, and we see in Paul's other letters and in his instruction, think about the Thessalonian believers and the Galatian believers, where Paul is going to regularly bring up to them again and again the word that they have received, the word that has been taught to them, the truth that has been proclaimed to them, the gospel that has transformed them as that which they must be rooted and grounded in in pursuing as they walk for Christ. And so as men who want to honor God, as men who are responsible before God for our actions, I want to challenge us with this word to be grounded in our faith, to be rooted and grounded in God's word, to be rooted and grounded in our pursuit of Christ's likeness, the mind of Christ, and sanctification in Christ. We should be continually pursuing, running, working as to complete that. And that's what we're called to do. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Have you ever gone to a sporting event um, and you see a team that's out, if it's a team or if it's an individual competition, and you watch the players or the participants warming up before the event gets going, and you're already passing judgment on who is good and who is not? Simply based upon the clothing that they're wearing or the equipment that they possess, how they look in warm-ups, how they're getting themselves prepared or getting themselves warmed up, and you've already passed judgment on everybody and you know who's going to win and who's not going to win in this race. Because there are certain people, and I've had this privilege as a dad that has kids now in middle school and soon to be high school, when I go to some of their competitions, if I'm going to, you know, when they were really little, a soccer match, and uh, you look at the teams as they're getting ready, there'll be kids out on the soccer field, and they're kicking the ball, they're intense, they're kicking that thing hard, they're scoring goals and warm-ups, and it's like, that kid's good. And then you got the other kids that they're like chasing butterflies, like when they're out there, right? Or for track meets that I've gone to, you have kids that before the track meets start, like they're at the starting line, and they're jumping up and down, hitting their legs. They're ready. They're like shaking out their muscles. And you look at them like, that person is ready. And then there's other people, they're just laughing with their friends, and, you know, and they're not even paying attention. It's like, it's time already? Like there are those that are focused, ready, and they're running because they want to win. And then there are those that are they're just there to have a good time. They're there because their friends are there. They're there because it's something to do. They're there because they like to be outside. They're there because, you know, that there's a girl that the guy's interested in and she's on the track team, so guess what? He's running track. Uh, they're, they're there because it's something that gets them out of the house. We, we all know that. The, the difference between those that are focused and they're running or they're participating to win and there are those that are just there because it's the thing to do or it's the place to be. Isn't the same thing true about our relationship with Christ and the believer running this race. There are far too many followers of Jesus who are simply content to be considered in the race because it's just what they've always been told they're supposed to do. It's what their families have done. It's all they've ever known. And then there are those that are grounded, focused, ready, and they are running with the intent of winning as they run that race. And that's all that matters to them. When 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul says this, all that are in the race, the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. Listen to what he says here. 
I do not run aimlessly. Would you consider your running that race to be aimlessly running? Paul says, I'm not running aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul makes something abundantly clear. There is focus. There is resolve. There's discipline. There is a purposeful intent in his running as he seeks to run this race. Paul brings this same mindset in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just in these verses, verses 12 to 13, Paul's encouraging obedience He's encouraging the pursuit of obedience, the pursuit of growth, and personal responsibility in that. And this can only happen as we are firmly grounded in our faith and in God's word. That's the only way that can happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, in the context of the perishable putting on the imperishable, of the eternal glory that is going to be present for us, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Guys, how many of us could it be said of tonight that our walking with Christ, our running the race with Christ, our relationship in living in this world is steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord? Um, What a testimony that would be that if it could be said of our lives, we are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And and if we're honest, could that be said of our lives tonight? Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we grounded? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle again would say that we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Doesn't it describe the current culture we find ourselves living in? And unfortunately, even with so many that would profess Christ to be children tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness and deceitfulness of men. There are those that would claim the name of Christ as believers in Jesus Christ that would be supporting things that the word of God outright calls out as sinful and disobedient to the Lord, and yet they'll support it and claim to know Christ. There are churches, pastors, preachers, people who have been Christian leaders for many, many, many years that are compromising on sound biblical truth because the culture is moving in a particular direction. Might that never be said of us, not only as a church, but as men who want to honor Christ, that we would be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be grounded. Be grounded. So a couple questions to consider tonight. Why are so many 
not grounded in their faith? And why are so many not firmly established? Are are you well grounded in the faith? Are you well grounded in God's word? Are you steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord? I want you just to take a couple minutes to answer this first question here that's here. What can tend to prevent you from being grounded in your faith and how do you deal with this? Just take a couple minutes, answer that at your tables and we'll get to the second point in just a second. Okay, guys, so just with that first question, let me, let me get some responses here. What can tend to prevent you from being grounded in your faith? Someone share with me what, what was shared at your table. What could tend to prevent you from being grounded in your faith? I heard a lot of sharing, yeah. Okay, busyness, busy schedules. That was also shared at our table as well, the busyness of, of seasons, and we allow things to fill our schedules and lives. What else? Okay. Self-sufficiency, I got this. Yeah. Okay, what else? Not reading the word. Okay. Not making the word of God a part of our our lives daily, regularly, can keep us. Yeah. Hmm. Any other responses? Um, what a lot of times it boils down to is what me, we make to be our own priorities, isn't it? Um, what is it that we ourselves choose to make our own priorities that keep us? We can talk about distractions, right? We can talk about the busy schedules. We can talk about relationships, family. We can talk about financial things. We could talk about you name it. And what a lot of those things really all funnel down into is what is it that we personally are prioritizing in our daily lives. Um, if it's your job that is more important to you than anything else, then guess what? Um, that will rob you of the time and commitment and energy that that is deserving to the Lord. If it's our families, if it's relationships, if it's hobbies, uh, it could be ridiculous things. But we allow to prioritize our time, our our money, our desires, our all our effort, and it robs us. And so it can tend to prevent us from being grounded in our faith. And and I think a lot of it, what it boils down to, is as men sometimes we don't really truly see how needful we are of the Lord day in and day out of our lives. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. As a man, how many of us want to admit that? Um, As men, we, we try to handle things. And yet apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And, and so I think sometimes it goes back to our understanding of who we really are, of who God really is, and what really matters. What really matters. We need to be grounded. Secondly, we need to be ready. This is the second word, ready. Look at verses 13 to 15. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As I looked at these verses, verses 13 to 15, this almost feels like it could be like a, a rallying speech 
for, for the believer in Christ that is living in the world in which we live in. Because look again how he, how he words this. Um, he says, it's God who works in you. So first of all, there's this great understanding that we have that it is not dependent upon you or I in order for, for amazing things for God to do. It's not dependent upon you or I. He, he's the one who does that work, right? He's the one who is able to do that. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I wonder, are you and I ready for what God is wanting and working to do in and through us? Are you ready for that? Are you wanting that? But then he goes on and says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, which sounds like an impossibility. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then listen, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I mean, this is almost like a, hey, gather around because let me tell you what, what's going to happen. Let me tell you what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you, I'm telling you that through what God is going to do in and through you, you are going to live and walk and breathe and participate in this world, this corrupt, sinful, fallen, decaying world, full of sin, dominated by sin and darkness. Look at our culture, guys. Look at our country. Look at our schools. Look at our government. Look at people who are in positions of leadership. Look at what people are embracing today. Look at what people are embracing in the world in which we live. And he says, you are going to live, you are going to be in this world knowing God is the one who's working in and through you. And you're going to be doing that by doing all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world are you ready for that are you ready for that as a believer in Jesus Christ are you ready for what comes with that calling are you ready we spent time this past semester in our men's study looking at spiritual warfare in the armor of God Peter was calling on the believer to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. That the fiery darts of the evil one are constantly coming your way, so you must put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about that. Ten weeks, we went through spiritual warfare and the armor of God and the readiness that needs to be present in our lives for spiritual attack, for the attacks of the enemy, for all the evil that is in the world. But... This passage isn't just highlighting the crooked and twisted generation we find ourselves living in, which that's a pretty good description, isn't it? Crooked and twisted generation that we find ourselves living in. That's one aspect of it, but the other aspect of readiness is not just for what that brings with it, but the readiness to do the work that God's called us to do as believers in Christ. To do the work of being blameless without murmuring and complaining and grumbling. To be those that as children of God are shining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that God has called us to. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for what God is calling us to do as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, this is, this is something I think that we, we have to put at the forefront of our hearts and minds. We are not here for ourselves. 
If tomorrow morning when I wake up, I wake up and my day is me going about my day for myself, I am in error. If tomorrow what matters most to me more than anything else in my day is that everybody likes me, I'm in error. If what matters most to me tomorrow is that everybody agrees with me, I'm in error. But if what matters most to me is I am here to do what God has worked in me to do, according to his good pleasure, am I ready for that? Am I ready for that? Am I ready to shine as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Am I ready for that? Am I ready to stand upon the truth of God's word because I'm grounded in the truth of God's word no matter what it costs or no matter what comes? Am I ready for that? Am I ready to do the work that God has called us to do? In Matthew chapter 6, very familiar verses in verses 9 through 13 where Jesus is is teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, so when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus modeled this perfectly, didn't he? I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I did not come to be served, but to serve. Even in the garden as he's praying and sweating great drops of blood, as he's approaching the cross and the wrath of God being poured out upon him, he says, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus modeled this perfectly, even to the point of excruciating pain, death, and, re, and, and the Father, as he would call out to him, Jesus calls, why, why have you forsaken me? Are you ready? To do what God has called, what the will of God is for your life, even above all other things. Are you ready for this? Question here, and you're not going to discuss these at your tables. We're just going to go there right here, number two. Do you consider yourself to be ready at all times in your walk with Christ? Do you consider yourself to be ready at all times in your walk with Christ? I, I, I share this as an illustration. My daughter, one of my daughters, gets a kick out of trying to move me when I won't let her move me. Okay, and this is, it might sound weird to you, but I have one, one of my daughters, she's like, she's like kind of the person that I'd be like, I, you know, if she needed to go and, and do something physical, like she could like go out there and like knock around with some of the guys because she's pretty strong. And so she'll be in the, I'll be in the house and I'll be standing there. She's like, dad, I bet I can move you. And I'll be like, honey, you're not going to move dad unless I want you to move dad. You know, so I'm saying that. And so she'll be like, I'm going to move you. So I'll stand there like, go ahead. And I'll stand there and she'll come running across the room. And sometimes she'll run across the room and she'll like yell, like she's attacking. She'll be like, ah, she comes running and she'll like run into me and I'll grab her and I'll just stand there with her like, sorry, honey. But there are times that I'm not expecting it. And I'll be in the room and I'll just be walking and I'll be walking by the couch and she'll come running across the room and I'm not expecting it. And she'll plow me into the couch. And it's, and I like buckle and I'm like, holy, I'm like, don't do that. And she's like, I told you I could move you. And I'm like, if I'm not expecting, but isn't there something of a difference when you're ready as opposed to when you're not ready? When you're expecting and when you're not expecting. Guys, I don't know how many of you have ever been asked, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? I don't know when the last time you were asked, hey, who was the last person that you shared Christ with? Who was the last person that you demonstrated a testimony that you follow Christ with that did not know Jesus? Who was the last person that you proactively spoke about the gospel to? You know what people say when you ask that question? So often what people say, there's never an opportunity for me to do that. I can't tell you when the last time I had an opportunity to do that. 
Do you know how crazy it is that when you pray in the morning that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel? That it almost seems like within the hour there's opportunities to share the gospel. Because you're expecting, looking, ready, wanting to share the gospel. Have you ever thought in the morning, Lord, help me to serve someone today? And you walk out like of your house and the first place you go, someone needs help. A few years back, we did something where we were challenging our church on a monthly basis to do different challenges, and one of them was to pray. And one of the months, we said, hey, this month, in the month of like October, seek to pray with and for people in the month of October. And we had testimonies that could be submitted online. I, I had the privilege of reading those testimonies, and I had several testimonies of people that said that they were at the grocery store and a cashier that they always have weight on them when they were in line um, they were waiting online, and they remembered the challenge was to pray, so they asked the cashier, hey, how can I pray for you today? And the cashier broke down and was like, oh, you, I can't believe you asked me that because I'm going through this in my life. I had a woman who submitted something and said she was at the gas station pumping gas. And there was a person next to her that was pumping gas, this lady, and, and the lady looked like she was just having a rough day, so she went over to her and said, can I pray for you today? And the lady just broke down and was like, absolutely, and she was sharing her heart with her. And they were so excited about it. Like, that never happens. And guys, it's not because opportunities aren't there to share Christ or to make an impact. It's because we're not ready for that. We're not looking for that. We're not anticipating that. We don't have this perspective and attitude that Paul says here, be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He does not say in the passage, among whom you should shine as. He says, among whom you shine as. Lights in the world. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? The opportunities to be used of Christ, the opportunities to speak up when the the time comes, the opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, do you consider yourself to be ready at all times? How can you adequately prepare for this? Let me just give you a couple of things to prepare for this. Pray. Ask God for opportunities to see and to speak up with the gospel. Ask God for opportunities to make an impact in people's lives. Pray in the morning. God, open my eyes today to the opportunities. And you watch how many opportunities come your way to make an impact. Don't you get encouraged by that when you pray and it's like God immediately answers that prayer? Because you realize this is not me. This is God that's doing this. But are we ready for those kind of opportunities? And are we willing to respond when that happens? Be grounded. Be ready. Be ready for what God calls you to do. Number three, the word is inspired. Look at verses 14 and 15. Do all things without murmuring and complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This should be inspiring to us. When you read that, those verses, this should be inspirational as a child of God. That the way that Paul the Apostle would describe the believer in Christ is by those statements. We live in a twisted and crooked generation. That should not be you as a believer. We live in a world and generation that is walking in darkness. That should not be true of you as a believer. We live in a world that is is rebelling against God and, and people who are rebelling against God. We live in a world where there's constant grumbling and disputing and complain, complaining. We live in a world where people are not innocent. They're guilty. Day in and day out, guilty. Day in and day out, uh, with blame, in air, 
in opposition to God. And yet that is not what should be true of you as a believer. We should be inspired by the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. It should inspire you and me that we are children of the Most High God. That should inspire you. It should inspire me. Do you know who your Father is? The Creator and Sustainer of the universe. It should inspire us. You know who it is that you serve and that knows you by name. It should inspire us. It should challenge us. Do you know who it is that has promised to care for you? It should inspire us. Who it is that empowers you? It should inspire us. Who it is that is with us? It should inspire us. And listen, do we truly have confidence and understanding that the word of God that we are grounded in and we are living is eternal, authoritative, and is powerful even today. It should inspire us. We need to make, quit making apologies for the word of God. We need to quit making apologies for being Christians. We need to quit making apologies for serving the most high God and knowing the truth. It should inspire us. It should inspire us in every area of our lives, in our relationships with our spouse, our children, our families, our work coworkers, our communities, our neighbors. It should inspire us. It should inspire us. Those statements made in verses 14 and 15 should echo through our minds over and over again. And all of that is against the backdrop of verse 13. It is God who works in you, both the will and to do according to his good pleasure. It should inspire us. Again, I feel like this is almost like a, a, a inspirational battle, pre-battle speech. Who it is that works in you. Who it is that is going to use you. Who it is that you serve. What it is that you're called to. What it is that God has promised. And what it is he's going to accomplish. Number three on your paper here. I want you to take just about five minutes at your tables. Where do you turn for inspiration? Why? And how much do you familiarize yourself with inspiring biblical accounts? I want to just share at your tables. Where do you turn for inspiration, specifically in your walk with Christ? Because that might be an encouragement to others at your table, so share that. Where do you turn for inspiration in your walk with Christ? And how familiar are you with inspirational texts of Scripture that should cause and stir us to be inspired in our walk with Christ. Go ahead and take a few minutes at your table to discuss that. The things were shared at your tables, maybe that were helpful, um, and encouraging, challenging. Let me just ask a question. Um, have you ever been facing something that uh, leading up to it, you wanted to gain some maybe insight, courage, inspiration as you were going to tackle something or, or face something? And so you watched you know, uh, a documentary or you watched a video or you, or, or you listened to a song or you talked with someone who's been there, done that, to, to serve by way of inspiration or example or encouragement. Um, you know, I remember um, years ago, uh, there was a, a video compilation where the Cleveland Cavs won the championship, the year the Cavs won the championship against the, the Warriors. And uh, there's this video compilation of the game, of the game, uh, game seven, where all of the events that unfolded in Game 7, all the way down to the final seconds, 
when it was secure, and they knew the Cavs were going to win that, and then the celebration. And it has been watched millions and millions and millions of times because when you watch it, if you're a Cavs fan, you can't help but watch it and be like, yeah, like you want to go and like play basketball after watching it because like you're just inspired by by what you just saw. Uh, there are countless videos if you go on YouTube of and you type in inspirational um, auditions for all of the the um, you know, America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent or American, all the shows where people are trying out for things and trying to be discovered. And there's people who go on those shows and they have really rough backstories or down and outers and, and nobody, everybody's written them off. And then they show up and they do their thing and it's inspirational. It's like, holy cow, I can't believe they were able, And everybody cheers and everybody goes crazy. There are literally millions and millions and millions of views of inspirational stories that are on YouTube or uh, on Netflix or whatever. Um, I just watched a, a movie not long ago, the movie We Are Marshall. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, but it, it's uh, you know based upon the true story that took place. And, and you watch that, and there's a point in that movie where they're considering canceling a football season because of some tragedy that took place where a plane crashed and killed all the football players the previous year and the staff and coaches in, in, uh, at Marshall University. It was in like 1970s, I believe. And there's a point in the movie where the board is going to cancel the football season. And as they're getting ready to cancel it, um, someone comes in and says that they want to be heard. And they look out the window and the entire like student body and professors and townspeople are out there. And they're yelling, we are Marshall. We are Marshall. And you watch it. And like I have no affiliation with Marshall. I'm watching it. And I'm like, we are Marshall. Like as you're watching it. Because it's inspirational. It's kind of like one of those things that you're like you know, excited about or you just are moved by. Um, there's so many examples of that and, and people try to capitalize that on so many different areas. But, but here's what the question I have in my mind is, why would we not turn to God's word in that same way? Do you know how many inspirational stories and examples there are in God's word for the believer to digest and fill your heart and mind with as you face whatever it is the world brings your way tomorrow? Why do we not turn to God's word for our inspiration? For what we're going to face tomorrow? Why don't we turn to God's word for inspiration as we walk in a world that is filled with darkness? I shared this in an ABF two weeks ago in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, it talks about the great, they call it the great hall of faith chapter where it talks about by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But at the end of chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says, what shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, dens and caves of the earth. 
The writer of Hebrews is, is calling on the believer to remember all of these heroes of the faith. He's calling on them to remember the heroes of the faith and to inspire them because then he goes on in chapter 12 to say, therefore, knowing all that, remembering all that, uh, reciting all of that, digesting all of that, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, let me share with you all of these inspiring stories of faith. Let me share with you so you don't forget. Don't forget about what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were thrown into a fiery furnace. Three men, but there were four men in the fire. And one was like the Son of God. Don't forget about Daniel who was thrown into a lion's den because the king wanted uh, put out this decree and, and he didn't want Daniel to have his demise, but because of wicked men and their conspiring, this man of God was going to be devoured by lions. But no, God shut the mouths of those lions so that Daniel was not consumed by these lions. Don't forget about David, the shepherd boy who would face a, a giant warrior Philistine that every other armored man in that army was, was completely terrified of and wouldn't face. Don't forget about these individuals. Don't forget how God would release his people from the land of bondage in Egypt as he would lead them out. And the writer of Hebrews would actually describe it in saying that God took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt to deliver them. Don't forget these stories. Don't forget the stories of those that Jesus would heal and he would, he would raise up that were, that were dead. Don't forget the stories that the apostles would endure hardship and beatings and imprisonment and yet they would leave prison rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Don't forget those that would be burned at the stake and sawn in two, that would be stoned to death, that the writer of Hebrews describes as the world was not worthy of them, but they were looking forward to that eternal hope. Don't forget these things. Don't let these things pass through your mind and forget about them. He says, no, remember all these things. And therefore, remembering that, knowing we're surrounded by that kind of company, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Guys, listen, if you need inspiration for living for Christ and walking in this world, it's right here. It's right here. It's here for you. Familiarize yourself with what God's word says and you will be inspired. Familiarize yourself with what God promises in his word and you will feel empowered. Familiarize yourself with what God has done and what God has promised to do. And no matter what you face tomorrow, you will face it with the mentality and attitude, if God is for me, who can be against me? Because God's just greater. He's just greater, period. Where do you turn for your inspiration? Why not God's word? Why not the eternal word of God? Why not there? Be inspired, guys. Be inspired by what God has done and what God has said. What he's given to us. We're going to move on. Fourth word for you, light. Light. The passage speaks about this, and, and this is just all throughout God's word. 
uh, about the necessity of the believer to walk in the light, to let our light shine, to be light. And he talks about it here uh, for us in the passage, making it abundantly clear that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we should be shining as lights. Do all things without grumbling, verse 14, and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, this is not a question of if you're letting your light shine. It's not a question of should you let your light shine. It's a given that Paul is saying here, among whom you are shining. You and I as believers in Christ should be shining as lights in a darkened world. That's what we should be doing. We should be shining as lights in a darkened world. Now, you've probably heard the analogy, we don't need to do it. Could shut all the lights down here, cover up all the windows, no light in this room, turn on one little flashlight, and all of a sudden everybody can see where that light's at in that darkness, right? That is the picture that is given for us in the word of God. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city that is set on hell cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but they let it shine so that all in the house may see it. That's what we're called to. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, I want to I remind us about something, because Paul's very consistent about this message of being lights, of letting your light shine. In Ephesians chapter 5, listen to what Paul says. And I'm reading context, because I think this is going to hit hard for some of us in this room, because of maybe what we're embracing or, or allowing into our lives. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 5. This is what Paul says. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. He'll go on to say in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Guys, listen, and we don't have time to answer this question at our our tables tonight. But I ask the question on your hand out there, do you consider yourself to be a light in your relationships? Do you find yourself consistently walking in the light? How do those two things relate? But I think maybe a question that has to be added here, would it be true of you to say that you are more consistently walking in light or walking in darkness? What more consistently is characterizing your life as you live? Light or the unfruitful works of darkness? Because my assumption in this room, because I've talked to many, many guys that have come into my office to share what they want accountability. They're struggling. They're participating in things that they know they shouldn't be participating in. Guys, listen, in this room, I guarantee you, there are, there are men in this room that, if we're honest, would have to say, hey, my life is probably more characterized right now by things that would be of darkness than light. That needs to change, guys. As followers of Christ, that should not be true. I don't want you to miss what he says in verse 8 of Ephesians 5. At one time you were darkness. Not you walked in darkness, which you did, but you were darkness. But now you are light. Not you are walking in light, which you should be, but you are light. 
Who we are has changed in Christ. Not just what we do and what we participate in, but who we are. This is identity here. You were darkness. Now you are light. Do you see that? And so in the passage before us today in Philippians chapter 2 that we're reading what Paul says, he says, among whom you shine as lights. It makes sense that if you are light, that you're shining as light in the midst of darkness. What characterizes our lives? Light or darkness? And then number five here, fifth word is the word lead. Lead. Um, too often, I think believers make too many excuses of why they're not leading. <laughs> Let's be honest. If I were to come up to each guy tonight and say, before you leave, hey, listen, how are you leading? Probably an answer I would hear quite a bit because I've heard it quite a bit is, oh, God hasn't gifted me to lead. Yes, he has. You might not have the gift of leadership, but he has gifted you and called you to lead in some capacity in your life. In some capacity, you're to lead because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you have the spirit of God in you. If you're married, you've been called to at least lead your wife. If you have children, you've been called to lead your children. If you have neighbors that don't know Christ, you've been called to lead your neighbors. Let them know. Pursue Christ. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, Philippians chapter 2 holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. The, the phrase that's used there of holding fast can also be said to hold forth. That as we are living and walking and lighting the world in which we find ourselves living, we are doing so holding fast, holding forth the word of life. Guys, who do you think is going to lead those that are in darkness to the light. Who do you think that's going to be the leaders in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, if not the believer in Jesus Christ? It's time as men who love Jesus Christ and love God to lead. Why would we be content to let those that are in darkness lead our families, our kids, our communities? As believers in Christ, we're called to influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to be proactive in doing that. Lead. If you're a husband, lead your wife well. If you're a dad, lead your children well. If you're a coworker with others, lead your coworkers well. Lead. Lead others to Christ. Lead others with the gospel. Lead others with the light of the gospel. Lead others as you shine as a light in a crooked and perverse generation. Be ready. Be ready to lead. Because God will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do just that. Are you ready for that? Are you grounded? Are you inspired? Are you shining as light? If you're doing all those things, you're leading people. Because guys, there's plenty of darkness for people to see in this world. 
there's not a lot of light for them to see. So when light shines, people follow light. People follow light. They go where the light is. So let's lead them. Let's lead them as we serve and follow the Lord. Those five words tonight. Five words I want you to take. Remember, the cross stick grill. Never use acrostics. cross-sticks. Did it just because I want you to remember these words. Be grounded. Be grounded. Be ready. Be inspired. Be light. Be leaders. Lead well for the glory of Christ. That is what God has called us to do. Might we do that? And then we watch what God does. The great thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're called to share it, proclaim it, live it. That's what we're called to do. The results we leave up to God. There's no pressure here, fellas. Let's be obedient. Let's be ready. Let's be proactive. Let's lead. Let's love others. Let's lead them well. And let God do what God can do that only God can do because he's good at it. But let's be faithful. Let me pray for us tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the calling you've put on our lives as men who love and want to follow you. I pray that we'd be faithful, God. Uh, I think about this passage, an incredible reminder for us. Lord, it's you who work in and through us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. You don't leave us alone. Thank you for the life-changing, life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. It's transformed our lives. It can transform others' lives. Might we be faithfully proclaiming it and sharing it. God, I pray every one of us as men, we would be ready and looking and willing to speak the name of Christ, to share the gospel, to not only in our words but in our actions, live it out. People can't help but notice light when there's darkness surrounding them. And so I pray that we would shine so incredibly brightly for Christ that people can't help but look like a bug going to a light outside. <laughs> they can't help but be attracted and come and find out what's going on. That the admonishment that Peter would give always to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, that we would be living in such a way that there are just countless people asking about that hope because people need it. And so I pray that you would empower us to be faithful. Help us as men to quit making excuses. Help us to quit being selfish and self-centered. God, help us to quit making excuses for our shortcomings. Help us to quit making excuses for not being rooted and grounded in your word. And help us to quit making excuses for not faithfully sharing the gospel. Help us to be selfless men. Help us to be like Christ. That we would let that mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. And that we would pursue you. Help us to be inspired, God looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray that we be faithful this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.